Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is a podcast for employers and HR professionals and managers and anyone who's interested in learning more about employment law and HR. For those of you who haven't listened before, my name is Alison Colley. I am an employment law specialist and I'm the founder of Real Employment Law Advice, which is a firm of solicitors specialising in employment law advice for employers and employees. You can find more details about my firm online at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. Now, for those who are regular listeners, I must say I'm very sorry that I missed a week and the previous episode that was due two weeks ago. I've been trying to keep up with my regular fortnightly schedule for some time now, but unfortunately I ran out of time before I went on holiday. So I actually took some time out and had a holiday and due to the volume of um, client work and various other things going on, I wasn't able to record a podcast. So my apologies for that. Hopefully you haven't missed it too much. But I'll be back now with the regular podcast schedule of every two weeks, unless I tell you otherwise in advance. So this week, I'm going to be covering a case, a case that's been heard in the Employment Appeal Tribunal recently, and hopefully it will be of interest to you. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So as I said, this week I'm going to be covering a case and it's a case about the national minimum wage and it's one that's been heard by the Employment Appeal Tribunal. Now those of you who are regular listeners or who have been paying attention to cases around national minimum wage will know that in July last year I did an episode of the podcast, episode 104, about the case of Royal Mencap Society and Blake, which was a court of appeal case, which determined that employees who are permitted to sleep whilst at work were not entitled to the national minimum wage. And that was a reversal of a previous decision, which had caused some difficulty for a number of employers, particularly in the care industry. And so that clarified the position for now anyway, in relation to sleep-ins and the minimum wage. And this case is the case called FRUD versus Partington Group Limited. And this covers something similar, I would say, um, but with different facts and circumstances. And that is about national minimum wage and time on call. So if I give you a rundown of the facts of the case first. So in this case, Mr and Mrs FRUD, who are the employees, were wardens um, slash receptionists for a caravan park and this was a caravan park owned by Partington Group Limited and they were employed by Partington Group for quite a long time really um, from 2008 to 2015 and I say it's quite a long time because I know that in these types of jobs it can be a bit transient so they were there for a while and their job was to live in a caravan on site and to provide sort of reception and warden cover for the site. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Frud were one of three teams on the site who worked various shifts 
and they had two seasons. So they had the busy season, I suppose, the open season from March to November. And then they had the closed season, which was from December to February. Now, on two or three days each week, Mr. and Mrs. Frud were expected to be on call after their official working shifts had ended. So they had their normal working hours where there was no dispute about pay. And then they had this on-call shift period. And it was divided into three for the purposes of the payments they received. So from the end of their shift until 10pm, they weren't entitled to any payments. Um, This was then referred to by the Employment Tribunal and the Appeal Tribunal as the evening period. Then from 10pm until 7am, they were entitled to payment for call-outs. And that was at the rate of £7.50 per person per call-out. And this was referred to as the night period. And then from 7am until the start of their shift at 8am, they weren't entitled to any payment again. And this was called the early morning period. Now, Mr and Mrs Frud made a claim in the employment tribunal claiming that they were entitled to pay under the national minimum wage regulations for the period of time that they were on call. Now, the times at which they were on call varied depending on whether the park was open or closed. And in the closed season, the gates of the park were actually locked at 430 And their normal working hours were from 8am till 4.30pm. However, Mr. Frud was required to undertake a security check of the park in the evening when it was closed and he received no payment for that period. Mr. and Mrs. Frud argued that they were entitled to payment of the national minimum wage when they were on call shifts. At the employment tribunal, the judge made the decision that during the evening shift up until 10pm when they were on call but not actually receiving any pay they were actually working and doing on-time work for the purposes of the national minimum wage so that is to say they would be entitled to payment which they were receiving none and that overnight so the night period from 10pm till 7am when they were paid for call outs they were not actually working merely available for work unless they were called out and so therefore weren't entitled to the national minimum wage. The judge unfortunately didn't expressly deal with the period between 7am and 8am when they were again on call but not paid. And so Mr and Mrs Frud appealed against the decision of the Employment Tribunal, which is why it went to be heard by the Appeal Tribunal. Now, as I've just said, although Mr and Mrs Thrud were making a claim that the whole of their time when they were on call should have been paid at the national minimum wage rate, The judge did carve up the time so as to distinguish between the periods in which they were undertaking some work and then were actually on call. The employment judge made this decision and carved up the periods because during that time up until 10pm, so after their shift finished and up to 10pm when they weren't actually being paid, there were a number of requirements of them during their times that they were actually on call. And that was that they had to show people around, they had to welcome late arrivals, they had to give keys to visitors, they had to conduct an evening check if there weren't any security guards, they had to deal with noise or unruly behaviour, respond to alarms, etc. And so regularly they were expected to undertake significant activities during that time. So between the end of their shift and 10pm they were required to do a fair bit of work. 
And it was for this reason that the judge decided that there was a distinction between what happened up until 10pm and then after 10pm when actually they weren't required to do very much. And if they were and they were called out, they were paid for it. So that's why he distinguished between the two. So when examining the decision of the Employment Tribunal, the Appeal Tribunal looked at the case of Royal Mencap Society in Blake, which I referred to before, and noted that there was a distinction there between that decision and what was actually going on in this case. And that was because in the Royal Mencap case, it was to do with times in which the employees were permitted to sleep, were not required, and periods of time when they were required to be available for work. And in that decision, there wasn't any attempt to draw a distinction between actual work and availability for work, other than in cases that dealt with sleeping. And in this case, Mr and Mrs Frudd, there wasn't any question about the requirement to sleep or not. Instead, they were accommodated at work, so it's where they lived, and they were just required to be on call should anything arise. Now, in the Employment Appeal Tribunal judgment, which I'll link to in the show notes so you can have a look at it, the Appeal Tribunal actually referred to a case of British Nursing Association versus Inland Revenue, which is a 2002 case. And in that case, the employers operated an emergency bank nurse booking service, which they did on an, on a 24-hour basis. And the night shifts for staff were worked from their own homes. The staff had to be available throughout their shift to answer calls. And in the evenings from 5am onwards, they were quite busy. But between 11.30 and 5am, the number of calls they would take was fairly infrequent. So in that time, the 11.30 to 5.30am, if they weren't required to answer a telephone call, then the staff could spend their time asleep or doing other activities, much in the same way as Mr and Mrs Thrud in this case. However, in this case, the Court of Appeal decided that the staff were actually working throughout the time of their shifts. So that included the period from 11.30 to 5am when they wouldn't have many calls. And that is to say that the Court of Appeal said that it seems self-evident on the facts that they were indeed working. No one would say that an employee sitting at the employer's premises during the day waiting for phone calls was only working in the sense of only being entitled to be paid during the periods when he or she was actually on the phone. Exactly the same consideration seems to me to apply if the employer chooses to operate the very same service during the night time, not by bringing the employees into his office, but by diverting calls to their home. So what the Court of Appeal said was that even during the day when they might not be having many calls, they were still working and so there was no difference here. But that case isn't the same as Mr and Mrs Frud, who were not required to work during that period of time between 10 and 7am unless exceptional circumstances required them to be available. In Mr and Mrs Frud's case, the appeal tribunal decided that the hours during the evening were time work and that this was plainly considered and consistent within the approach in the British Nursing Association case. And given the range of duties that they were required to perform, the employment judge was entitled to find that they were working up until that time. There was no challenge to the decision about the night work, so that was from 10am to 7am. 
and therefore it just left the decision about the period from 7am to 8am when again there was quite a frequent amount of work required by Mr and Mrs Strud but they weren't actually being paid for and the Employment Appeal Tribunal upon reading the judgment decided that the employment judge hadn't dealt expressly with that period of time and therefore the common sense approach was that the case should be returned to the employment tribunal for the judge to make a finding in relation to that period of time specifically. Therefore Mr and Mrs Frud's appeal was allowed in relation to that period and the case was referred back to the employment tribunal where given all of the things we've just talked about, the reasoning of the employment tribunal and the judgment of the Employment Appeal Tribunal in relation to the early evening period, it's likely that the employment judge would decide the same about the period between 7 and 8am when they had specific duties that they were required to undertake. Then finally, the Employment Appeal Tribunal went on to look at the difference between the time at which the park was open, so that's the March to November time and then when it was closed in that short winter period and because Mr and Mrs Thread only had the occasional requirement to do work in that time it was right that the employment judge concluded that in the closed period when the caravan park was shut it did not constitute time work after their shifts had ended unless they were actually involved in doing some work. And therefore, the Employment Appeal Tribunal did not allow Mr and Mrs Frud's appeal in relation to the judgment on national minimum wage being paid for on-call time during the closed period. So what does this case tell us about the national minimum wage and when to pay members of staff who are on-call? Well, it was obvious in this case that Mr and Mrs Frud were doing consistent amounts of work after their shift ended and before the parks essentially became quiet at 10am. So it wasn't a reasonable reflection to say that they were actually on call, but rather they were still carrying out work in that time. Once 10am hit and the parks quietened down, there was less of a requirement on them to do work. And in most cases, obviously, it seems to be that there was no requirement on them. And if there was, if there was a call out for an emergency or anything specific, then they would be paid by the employer at the call-out rate of £7.50 per person. But they were not entitled, therefore, to have national minimum wage paid to them for the full period of time that they were required to be on call. And this was consistent, as the Employment Appeal Tribunal said, with the British nursing case, where the findings were slightly different, but obviously the circumstances were different. So how does this help you as an employer or a business owner? Well, the main thing to note is that It's not as simple or as straightforward as saying to somebody, well, you're not actually doing work or in work in that time. You're just to be available for work and therefore we're not going to pay you unless you actually go out and do something. So you can't just say, actually, for the whole period of time, there's a one size fits all. Instead, you need to look at what is really happening in that time and If, like Mr and Mrs Frud, they're doing consistent and regular work when you're not paying them the national minimum wage, then you could find yourself in difficulty. It's certainly worth getting some advice on a case-by-case basis if this is something that's relevant to your organisation. If you'd like to discuss your circumstances of your business or organisation, 
confidentially, then I'm happy to have a chat with you. You can contact me by email to set up an initial telephone call and my email address is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk or you can contact the office directly and arrange an appointment. My office number is 01983897003. Alternatively, you can find all the contact details for myself and my colleagues at Real Employment or Advice on our website, which is adviceforemployers.co.uk or realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. The show notes are at adviceforemployers.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash 121. And on there, you can find all the details and references to the cases. Finally, I just want to say thank you to all of those listeners who are continuing to get in touch with me via LinkedIn. It's always really great to hear from you and I'd love to connect with you if you're listening and you want to find out more about me or to get more regular updates, you can connect on LinkedIn. Or alternatively, if you want to sign up for our fortnightly newsletter, you can do that on the website. If you have any questions or anything you'd like covered in future episodes of the podcast, you can get in touch with me and I'd be happy to cover those. I can do it anonymously or I can refer to your name if you prefer. Thanks very much for listening and I hope that you have a fantastic week. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.